0: You know, one of my favorite things about Helmbot is this kind of minor thing. It seems minor, but it makes a big difference, which is that when clients schedule, they can also add their guest name in, including their email address and some other information. So when they book, they're both under their name, but you know the guest name as well, which is great. It's all good and well. But the thing I love is that you can then switch that client into somebody in your system so you have a perfect record of how many times they floated or had massage or whatever modalities you're offering plus you can send them a float waiver if they are coming in for a float you can switch that over and then immediately know that that client is just totally fully in the system love that plus having somebody's email address is always a good thing so everybody who comes into your center you have their information humbot makes it really easy to add those people in super convenient Helmbot.com. We love them. We use it at the shop. We've been using them for years and cannot speak highly enough of Helmbot. Check them out. Don't take my word for it. Take a free tour. It's it's super easy. Get a hold of them. Have them walk you through everything they do. Make sure that it does everything you need for your business. And I'm confident they'll be able to. Helmbot.com is where you want to go. You know, I've been talking about the FTA and how you can support the FTA through membership and what the FTA is doing for the industry. But I should also note that you can directly help the FTA by joining one of the committees that's available. If you go to flotation.org forward slash committees, then you can see all the different groups that are working on different projects that will help the industry. And I think so many people out out there, they're, they're running their float centers and they want to do something to contribute. They want to be actively part of the community and, and helping boost it. This is exactly what you can do to help, help propel the FTA forward and help propel our industry forward. Again, flotation.org is where you want to go to just check out everything the FTA does. Uh, It's also where you can sign up to become a member. I'm a member. I highly encourage you to be one as well. Support the FTA as the FTA supports us. And if you're interested, if you want to be part of this, go to um, again, to the committees page and see, see if any of those, call out to you and that's something that you want to do is is help our industry through the FTA. Again, flotation.org is where you want to go. Let's start a really fascinating episode right about now. Welcome to another episode of Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. My name is Dylan, and I own the float shop in Portland, Oregon, with my beautiful wife, Sandra, and also beautiful and incredibly hardworking as we're going through some uh, serious renovation stuff. I just want to note that as well. And um, yeah, that, that seems to progress.
1: <laughs> and I'm Kim Hannon. I own Sukino Float Center in Salt Cave in Southern Indiana with my handsome hubby, Graham. And uh, he
0: not a hard worker he'll he'll tell you like he's
1: not yeah, but, i'm glad you said yeah. that good he's
0: pretty i think yeah. Graham is a hard worker i'm gonna stick up for Graham on this one this is drew from new hampshire float i own new hampshire float by myself although my beautiful wife denise is a uh supporter but uh i'm also beautiful and when i look in the mirror when i'm alone at the float center i see myself and so props to me because since we're all giving props to other people at the float center yeah Drew I, I'm not sure about how hard me, of Drew. a worker you are but you are beautiful that should be known you are yeah. I'll take it yes. I mean it's For why we started a video podcast lazy. yeah we're, we're some beautiful people here um hmm yeah uh yeah <laughs> Be- beautiful segue. This is why we have a routine for our <laughs> intros for our show. Uh, let me please introduce Emily Choquette. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> thank you. thank you. Um, yeah. Emily works with Library, the Laureate Institute for Brain Research, and she was at this year 2022's uh, float conference in Portland, Maine, and gave a, a very fascinating um, and in- inspiring, if, if I may say as well, yeah. um, presentation. And oh, yeah, actually, now is a good time to say What a natural orator that you are. Uh, Such uh, confidence on stage. And I thought that was wonderful. Nice work.
2: (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad that I at least projected the confidence because I definitely was shaking in my boots a little bit. (laughs)
0: Were you really? All right. Well, well done. Couldn't tell. Absolutely. You handled it beautifully. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. It was my first talk in person since before the pandemic. So getting back into that is just a different kind of experience. (laughs)
0: <laughs> one of my least favorite things on earth for sure yeah well you made it look great um yeah and um how, how was the conference for you <laughs> in general that so was your first float conference yeah
2: it was um i didn't know what to expect um coming in because i've never been to an industry conference before uh, i've only been to academic conferences
0: yeah. a little different. Can,
2: They they are definitely a little different um and everyone was so welcoming and supportive and not that you don't get that sometimes in academic conferences, but it was just a whole different feeling. Everyone's more open to, um, can't, it's a different feeling, and it's sure. a nice, like, happy feeling, <laughs> versus <laughs> there wasn't a lot of pressure to hmm. put on a certain kind of air about yourself. Oh, you just got to be who you are, yeah.
0: Cool, I'll take yes. that. Nice, very cool. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit about your title in, uh, at LIBOR and and even like your story of how you you got there?
2: Sure, yeah. So um, I am a postdoctoral research fellow. um, And that's just a fancy way of saying um, that I am early in my career. So I'm working on my licensure for clinical psychology, Mm. uh, as well as Mm. I am working still under more established researchers uh, to help Mm. me develop my own career. uh, Mm -hmm. And so becoming an independent researcher at this point. Um, And I, my story is, so I started uh, at University of South Florida under Dr. Kevin Thompson, who is a body image researcher, and then uh, also worked with Dr. Diana Rancourt, who does disordered eating research. And I graduated from the University of South Florida with my doctorate in 2021, um, and then did my clinical internship at the University, uh, sorry, at the Houston VA. Uh, And after doing some of those things, I was looking for a postdoc that would give me an opportunity to work with a population that I'm interested in. So individuals with body image concerns, as well as eating disorders, as well as expand my area of expertise into Mm -hmm. clinical trials. Um, And I was really interested in in how we can use technology uh, to leverage the treatments that we already have. Um, And so I ended up getting hooked up with Dr. Robin Opperly and Dr. Saib Khalsa. Uh, and kind of the rest is history from there. Uh, LIBR offered cutting edge technology in terms of everything that they do. Cool. Uh, they had a lot of projects that I was really excited to get going on. And that was actually the first time I heard about float. All right. Was during my interview with them. Um, and I wasn't able to float at that time because their tanks were closed still to public. But um, after talking with Dr. Kalsa, so I got excited uh, and that's kind of how I got to where I'm looking at some of his data from his anorexia study
0: So before you had floated and just when you were interested in the idea of I guess going to library and jumping into this jumping into the into the pool um, Literally were you able again? to look yeah. <laughs> right? were you able to look at any like data sets or what intrigued you was there something about you talked about your interest in technology was the the float tank itself fascinating to you so it's
2: partially that and um, the p- other project I'm working on is digital psychiatry. So how we visualize a patient's life history um, and what got me excited about Dr. Kalsa's work or Sib's work is we don't have a lot of, so anorexia is really hard to treat um, and about 30 to 50% of people end up relapsing uh, and there aren't feels like a whole lot of new things being developed mm. to try and, get at some of those more recalcitrant symptoms and so the idea that at least we're trying to do something to change those symptoms in some way was what was really exciting okay Um, and not to say we're the only people doing that but i think that just getting at it from a different way
0: cool um now that we're talking a little bit about anorexia nervosa can 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 we (laughs) can we yeah we, we sure did and and um yeah, I hope, I hope to actually kind of deep dive here, but uh, can you explain what anorexia nervosa is in, in all its facets? Because I feel like um, the public has an idea of what it is, and I think the reality is it goes a lot, it's more complicated than, than we think.
2: Yeah, um, so anorexia nervosa has three core symptoms that we think of when we're thinking diagnostic picture, um, and those are um, severe calorie restriction leading to significantly low weight, and that's kind of the, the stereotypical symptom I think you think of when you're thinking of anorexia. Right. The other two um, core symptoms are this intense fear of gaining weight, mm-hmm. which can be accompanied by activities to inhibit weight gain. So this might look like in some people it might be making yourself grow up or it might be um, overexercising or whatever that activity is. Um, and then the third one is this Distortion in the way that one perceives their body. And that can happen in a couple different ways. So, the first is that I actually think my body is larger than it is in reality. And the second way is that I overvalue my weight and my shape and my own self construct. Mm. So, somebody who is does not have a distorted self construct, use themselves maybe as a friend, a teacher, a, you know, academic, a dog mom, whoever they are. Um, and individuals with anorexia tend to overvalue what they look like, specifically their weight and shape in that total picture of themselves.
0: Is there, oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I feel like there was more. I, I said it was complex, and then I, you took a breath and I cut you off. So I think there was more there to, to explore. It,
2: no, I was, uh, so those are the kind of three diagnostic pictures that we.
0: Is there is there a particular um, I don't know personality profile is the right um, descriptor or um, family profile or are there similar things that are within somebody's network or environment that tends to align itself with with somebody with anorexia nervosa?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. So we do know that there are some sociocultural factors, specifically you know pressure from the media. Um, pressure from friends, pressure from family to be or look a certain way that do play into that. Um, And in terms of genetics, eating disorders can run in families. So there is some kind of genetic component. That's not my area of expertise, but there is some genetic component to it. Um, And then to answer your question about characterological things, there tends to be obsessionality or perfectionism that goes along with the disorder as well as high levels of anxiety. Um, and that can be general anxiety, it can also be appearance-related anxiety, um, and comorbid things like OCD, or generalized anxiety disorder.
0: Okay. Which oftentimes relates to a level of control, am I taking too big of a leap there?
2: I think o- OCD? Some, yeah,
0: Sorry.
2: so for some it can be a level of control, so it can be um, sometimes with The obsessions, it's more of a morality obsession. Like these are bad foods, and I hate using the word bad food because I don't believe that there are bad foods. There are maybe more and less nutritious nutritious foods. Um, And it can also come from a kind of place of I feel like I can't control anything, so I'm going to control this is something I've heard from patients in the past, and that's how it starts. so there is some of that as well. Um, I've also seen it in terms of anxiety, like I'm anxious to eat this food for whatever reason. Um, and so then that turns into, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat it or anything that involves the food, which then morphs into kind of this more concern about weight and shape. Hmm.
0: Um, Yeah. yeah, It's a little heavy. It's super heavy. Yeah. Uh, I do want to get to the floating uh, aspect (laughs) of it and the research, Uh, but Mm -hmm. before I think it might be helpful to talk a little bit about what you consider, what is somebody who is cured of anorexia and how do you measure that? Is it simply weight gain? Is it simply like, can somebody still be anorexic, but still have high anxiety or, um, you know, be cured of (laughs) cured, uh, of, um, thinking about their weight, but still have a uh, high anxiety because there's so many factors involved. Does that make any sense? Am I?
2: Yeah, I, so I was worried you might ask me this question because, um, as a field, we don't have a good definition of what is cured. Um, there's debate about whether it means that individuals are just weight restored. I mean, there's debate on whether it means that they're weight restored and they don't have any of these other core symptoms, like the fear of waiting, of gaining weight or the body image thing, kind of not thing. sorry, the body image component. And so how long does that last? How long do they need to be free of those symptoms? There's a lot of debate. Um, and actually, Dr. Kalsa wrote a paper on this uh, a couple years ago, uh, which I would direct people to if they're interested in reading more about that. But we don't really have a, as a field, a pinpoint. You're cured because you meet these, or you don't meet uh, any.
0: Which makes a certain amount of sense with something psychological that, and and genetic. Interesting. Yeah, it, yes. with how complex it is. Um, interesting. Uh, can I ask? So I know you weren't here when it started, but how did floating come into meeting anorexia as any kind of treatment in, in research?
2: hmm that's a, another really great question. So from my understanding, uh, after seeing some of the results from Justin Feinstein's study on an- anxiety, and uh, there was some discussion, how can we use this uh, for women with anorexia, which we know as I mentioned, anxiety, 60 to 80% of women with anorexia also have generalized anxieties. Um, and the anxiety that goes along with anorexia is often not well treated by pharmacological means, or they're contraindicated for one reason or another, um, typically due to the low weight. So how do we treat this anxiety, um, which can interfere with other t- other aspects of anorexia treatment? Um and so if we have these really robust effects in one session of flotation, can we, is it safe to use this with women with anorexia? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, the first study was just to see if it was safe. So what that means is, did they have any adverse effects with anorexia patients? You oftentimes have to be worried about um, their blood pressure dropping uh, from standing to laying down right, right. Um, and other things that you may be concerned about in terms of just health reason, health risks. Um, and so what was found in the study done at library is that it is safe for women with anorexia nervosa. It significantly decreased their anxiety. And I think it was kind of a secondary. They just decided to look at body image. Um, hmm. and it did actually end up reducing their body image dissatisfaction, which was where this next, um, larger came
0: in and start to jump too far ahead here, but very significantly, if, if, I mean, I know sometimes reading a graph on screen, I'm, I'm referencing your, your uh, presentation, you, you know, that a graph can be a little misleading by how much of a change, but it looked like it was extremely substantial, um, particularly long-term.
2: Yeah. Um, so the, this, the change in anxiety from pre to post float is much larger. So that is an effect size of 1.2. Two or 1.3, I believe, just quoting numbers off the top of my head is hard. And so that's a large effect. The change in body image from pre to post float is much smaller. So it is um, a small effect. But the fact that it changes after one session uh, is important because we don't always see that happening in other treatments where we see about the same amount of change over treatment. It's not a, a substantial or a large change like we see for the anxiety, but we do see some, some small to moderate changes. And if we can see that after one float, it, are there other ways that we can enhance the float to increase that magnitude of change?
0: Um, I'm sorry for jumping ahead a little bit here, but um, and, and I'm sure we'll. We'll fill in the context here, but there were some longer-term studies that were, I think, six months. And so you're talking about um, there being a substantial change in anxiety. Were there also metrics recorded for body image out that far?
2: Yeah, so the what I was just talking about were the acute changes. So those were immediately pre- to post-float. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of the long- longitudinal, we measured at the end of the flotation intervention, six weeks and six months and so just for some context the float intervention was for four weeks two floats a week um about one hour each and so what we found was at immediately after uh, and then at six months after the flotation group had lower body image dissatisfaction than the usual care group and so usual care uh, they were receiving all the same assessments they just weren't floating
0: and actually, so yeah, okay. Let's let's lay it all out there. What what the yeah. research actually looks like. So I appreciate that. So hour long floats, uh, four floats, um, oftentimes two times a week, and then so the eight floats. Oh, eight floats. Times. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. And um, the con- the control is control the correct term for this situation. Um, is that sitting in a relaxing chair? Like, is there that direct?
2: Um, so for our control, we're using a usual care. So what usual care looks like is these individuals are all, including the float group, receiving residential treatment for e- eating disorders. So they are in um, four, 40 plus hours a week of individual group family therapy. And they receive multidisciplinary care from dietitians, psychiatrists, therapists, occupational therapists, nurses, so kind of it runs the gamut. They get really comprehensive care. What we're adding to that is the flotation rest um, for the experimental group.
0: Okay, Got So it. we
2: don't have, um, unlike some of Dr. Feinstein's work where he does the chair rest, okay. we, we didn't have that. We're just looking at the effects of flotation. Got it.
0: Can you talk a little bit about um, how you measure the, the results and and how patients are... i I don't know how how exactly i describe it but showing well maybe maybe you could say it better than i can but like yeah uh, please
2: yeah so um we measured body image so our main our primary outcome was the photographic figure rating scale um and that's a measure of perceptual body image so how someone perceives their own body Uh, and so what it is is it's 10 images ranging from an extremely emaciated looking individual. So a low BMI category up to a larger bodied individual. Uh, and the participant selects one to 10, which they think is their current body size. And then which they believe is their ideal body size. And mm-hmm. you get a number by subtracting the ideal from the current. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you take the, the absolute value. So it's always a positive number. Uh, and so that is kind of our primary outcome. And so then we look at how does that change from before the float to after the float? And that's the acute effects. And we also look at their baseline. So during their screening and their consent visit to after they've done all the flotation, um, rest sessions, six weeks and six months after they're, they're floating.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And then we we look at it two other different ways, and that's the somatomap, two um, D and three D. And the two D these are a little bit harder to explain, so I'll try to do my best without my pictures.
0: <laughs> and 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 we'll include on our on our page, will if with your permission and with the flow conference's permission, a few snapshots from your presentation as well.
2: Sure, yeah, yeah. and so yeah, that'd be great. So the somatomap two <laughs> D because it's it is a little bit difficult to explain uh, without pictures. The two D is a body representation so it's a mannequin on which the individual circles the areas that they're dissatisfied in so for example if i didn't like my thighs or my stomach i would circle that and it fills in for you mm-hmm. and you, so you get an individual map for each person and in order to um Look at group differences. We average those maps across groups. So you have the treatment group and the usual care group and you get these heat maps. So it's the proportion of individuals in each group that's identifying that area as an area of concern. And so there are different colors based on the number of people or the percentage of people who are indicating that specific area as concerning to them. Mm -hmm. And then what you can do is you can compare them across groups. So you can look at whether or not the float group has reduced areas of concern compared to the, um, the usual care group or the individuals who didn't float. Okay. Um, and then the third way is they're 3D avatars. So you can manipulate different mm. parts of the body. So there's 20, 23 different areas, so body lengths and body shapes that they can manipulate, the individual can manipulate um, to make them larger or smaller, to make oh, it look wow. like themselves. Uh, and then to make it look like their current ideal or their, their current body versus their ideal. Body.
0: Wow. Yeah. Are you, are you sitting there? I, I just, honestly, it just sounds heartbreaking to see, to, to think about watching somebody completely, uh, what we call just kind of dysmorphia of, about their body and, and drawing something that is not who they are or, uh, the ideal being not who they are. It just sounds difficult. <laughs>
2: It is, and um, so I, as I mentioned, wasn't here for this specific study, um, Mm -hmm. and when I have done some work with individuals with some body image concerns, it is really hard to, you see somebody in front of you, and it's not how they see themselves, Mm -hmm. um, and trying to help them almost change their perception of their own self is the core of the therapy, and we're so deeply ingrained in who we are as people and how we see ourselves often that that's really hard.
0: Sure. Yeah. By all means, by all means. (laughs) Um, Do you know, so the people who have results after six months, that is without ongoing floating. I assume there's ongoing treatment going on, but are some people floating and some people aren't? And those results are still that strong six months later. I'd like to understand that far out a little bit more.
2: Yeah. I think that's one limitation of our current study is we don't know whether or not they continued floating um we didn't offer any continued floating so Mm -hmm. if they are they're going out into the community and they're they're going to float centers Mm -hmm. um but unfortunately we don't know whether or not they are floating um after those eight sessions okay
0: got it and what what where does it go from here what is next and
2: well, so I think we have, that's a big question because there are so many different directions we could go. Um, mm-hmm. Pragmatically, I think one way to go would be let's have individuals go to float centers and see if this is just a LIBOR effect, right? We want to make oh, sure that uh-huh. this is replicating across, yeah. um, you know, locations. Uh, I think that would be one way to go. My part is in trying to figure out how do we maximize our effect? So how do we make the reduction in body image disturbance? Do we add certain components of therapy kind of working towards a float assisted um, psychotherapy similar to they have psychedelic assisted psychotherapy? Is that kind of the way we go? Is this a brief intervention where we take individuals who have higher body dissatisfaction float them and then kind of help them engage in therapy um so I think that is the direction I see this going cool. um yeah
0: so one thing that I feel like the flow industry has learned very well over I don't know like the last 10 years is that research happens slowly like it, it's a slow process we <laughs> want the information like this and it takes a long time um and per- particularly for it then to become I don't know, A, published, but also integrated into, into the world. Like, we don't even really see that yet with with floating, um, particularly in the U.S. And I, um, yeah, so <laughs> I guess how, how I guess you did answer that a bit already, of like what your goals would be for what that would look like going forward, um, like integration with other float centers and, um, or I'm sorry, not with float centers, but with... Um, uh, other modalities to assist them in, in treatment so i guess i guess we kind of got there already um and yeah. i guess I, I it sounds like we're at the very infancy though of hey it looks like there's something here and where do we go from here to get the most results and so it's going right. to take a long time before we see it see it in uh, i guess real world application would that be correct
2: I think, unfortunately, it may take a little while, as you mentioned, kind of the research pipeline gets, it does um, get backed up in terms of when you are completing the studies and when you're seeing them. Um, I think one way that we can help that as researchers is doing things like coming on podcasts and speaking at, um, conferences for people who are not academics, but for the industry just to share what we're finding. Um, and, and kind of bridging that gap a little bit, because they call it, I think it's the, the curtain of science or something like that. Oh, where,
0: funny.
2: Right? Like, we have to open that curtain and let people know what we're doing yeah. um, as scientists. And I think that's one way we can do it. Other scientists are using Twitter. Um, so I think there are there are lots of people trying to get their science out there and not just in academic journals, because not everyone cool. has access to those either.
0: Yeah. We look forward to your TikTok. That's going to be great.
2: Um, <laughs> Ooh, um, we, we,
0: yeah. <laughs> we're not either. It's OK. <laughs> do you know <laughs> any
2: of uh, the younger gen that can help me do a TikTok? Because these like dances, they elude me. I don't.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got a six year old who could, could walk you right through it. No, I we're not. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, let's see here. OK, so. Are you interested? So, so that's interesting to me. uh, Of opening the veil of information out from uh, from the research community to the public, are you guys steered in any way from the public's information? Like, if everybody's like, "Hey, we have uh, every float center has an anorexia nervosa patient who is experiencing benefits from it," does that influence you guys as well?
2: Um. So there are avenues for that in terms of case studies. I know oh, sure. um, there are there were some people who actually at the float conference presented on some of those case studies. Um, other ways that that could potentially be an um, official to research is I know um, Justin is talking about a database where everybody collects mm-hmm. kind of the same information. And so if we do have some of those crowdsourced data that could help drive some of our our research because we would have what we call pilot data. So kind of the initial data mm-hmm. to look at that we could then potentially get funding for larger studies. Okay. Um, and the one downside to that is it's it's really hard to collect standardized data across lots and lots of different sure. um, float centers.
0: Sure, and that, that makes sense, yes. <laughs> um, uh, float Research Collective, by the way, I should just mention Float Research Collective. Um, it's uh, What's moving that forward with Dr. Feinstein? I'm I'm part of that and a, a strong believer in collecting all that data, as complicated as it may and and absolutely will be. <laughs> uh, it seems like uh, it, there's a lot of potential with that. Um, absolutely, is right. So and maybe you've already explained this, and I apologize for being dense, but I'll say, in, in case any listeners didn't get this, uh, was there? Um, it seems like that study is complete and maybe they're still looking at data, maybe not, but Mm -hmm. then where are you in in the next stage? It it sounds like you're looking at the different avenues of um, what study to move to next. Is that right? Yes,
2: Yes. all of those are accurate. We are um, finishing up data collection, sorry, we finished data collection, we're finishing up writing um, Mm -hmm. up the paper for publication. Um, Fingers crossed, we'll get that um, somewhere soon. Uh, And then we're going (laughs) to also and those will just be the primary outcomes of the study. We also have some secondary analysis that we're doing um, on the eating disorder symptoms, the weight and shape concern, which we also saw reductions in from baseline at six months in the floaters. Um, And past that, I, I am currently working on potentially securing some funding for some a study looking at flotation um with women with anorexia
0: okay all right you heard it here first awesome yeah (laughs) super cool
2: and i don't want to i don't want to make any promises but we're hoping for it
0: okay awesome i'll i'll take that that's awesome um good luck to you on that Uh, and uh, everybody in the industry is certainly excited for you as well uh thank you Kim, uh, do you have anything that you want to ask? I know I've been driving a lot of this. No, is there anything you want to you, ask?
1: You've done a fantastic job with that. Every time I've thought Thank of a you. question, it's come right out yeah. of your mouth. So I'm like, <laughs> "Well, never mind." No, I you know, I think this is an area that um we don't talk a lot about in the float industry. Um mm. and I'm curious if you feel like that's something that we should Um, as float center owners try to put out there a little bit more and to talk about the benefits specifically for those who have, um, body image concerns or eating disorders. Um, I feel like it's something that we kind of know about, but, uh, you know, obviously there's not a ton of research yet and thank you for working to change that. I think we're all completely behind, you know, everything that can be done with a float, but, um, we talk a lot about anxiety and stress and pain relief, um, but you know what? What message would you have for float center owners? How how should we approach this? Is it something that we should be sharing publicly and saying that this may help people who have these concerns? Yeah.
2: Uh, so I think because we've replicated the fact that this does reduce body image concerns in two samples of women with anorexia, I think we can say that we have some evidence that it does reduce that. We're not sure how it reduces it as of yet. Um, it may have to do with how people are perceiving the internal body sensations. It may also have to do potentially with some of the reduction in anxiety. Um, and that's kind of the other next step is to figure out why it's reducing them. But I do think you can tell people that it is, you know, we've found that it does reduce some of these body image concerns mm-hmm. um, in terms of the way that people are perceiving their body. And um, so there's one caveat to that. There's different types of body image disturbance. So there's also cognitive So the way you think about your body and the way you feel about your body. So I makes me feel either shame or it makes me feel proud. And this is more the way that we're seeing. This is more in the perceptual aspect in terms of whether I perceive my body as larger than it is um, actually. And what we're seeing is that individuals that changes um, is the perception.
1: Got it. That's a
2: great clarification. Mm hmm. And so
0: thank you for that question too. Yeah. I have a question that is not float related, uh, but I feel like you might have some great insight to this, which is I became very self-conscious at the beginning of this episode. uh, talking about my beautiful wife. Uh, Kim talked about her beautiful husband. Drew talked about how beautiful he is and and maybe talked about his wife as well. I'm not sure, but um, you know, I, I feel like these could be potentially like triggering topics Uh, Obviously, this could be a potentially triggering episode in general, but uh, Mm -hmm. a particular lack of sensitivity about that, although particularly on this episode in general. But, uh, you know, how do you recommend and and this isn't a, you know, an official prescription by any means, but uh, (laughs) with somebody who has insight um, in talking about things like beauty and, you know, for some of us, we might say beauty and that might be something that is an inside and outside factor and, but mm-hmm. to somebody else, beauty can be simply a uh, physical representation or that's how it can be interpreted. Um, I'm, I'm just curious, how do you navigate that? How do you see it? Uh, do you find, yeah, I'll just start there. <laughs> that' already a lot.
2: But yeah, it, and it's a tough um, area to navigate, I think, because, Culturally, we typically have this standard for beauty and what is beautiful. Um, and I think the biggest way we combat this standard is through representation in our images and the way we talk about beauty. Um, so, for example, you know, talking more about the things you love about the person on the inside that make them beautiful to you um, versus just talking about the, what they look like on the outside or you know, the body that they live in.
0: Great. Yeah, actually, that that just (laughs) brought up some some stuff. I I have I have two young children and and they're they're called cuties, you know, by by people. And uh, my my wife and I try to try to nip that. And uh, but just how easily that seeps into somebody's brain, you know, and and positive reinforcement through, uh, you know, physical means or uh, aesthetics
2: absolutely and I think you know we're kind of socialized to do that for women and for girls more than boys sure. um, but it is something that's a growing concern for males too you know the body ideals for men are changing over the last you know couple decades in terms that they have to be really fit and thin have to um, and what's that doing for the boys in our lives or the men in our
0: lives for sure Whew. is there anything I else you'd like, like to leave
1: we could go on that rabbit that hole, could be its own you know, topic for, yeah it really yeah. could and and that's mm-hmm. where you know i i have a lot of ideas and and opinions um <laughs> yeah. definitely on on that whole beauty industry and perspective mm. um that yeah it's a big one it is it is. well it's a billion dollar
2: industry or something like that yes. too so
1: Yes, exactly. And it's funny because, you know, Dylan, when we started, like, as we're talking about beauty in the beginning, that's exactly where my mind went was to like a beautiful person inside and out, that holistic mm-hmm. view of someone. Um, and and less about the outside. That's not where my mind goes when I think about how beautiful someone is. But it took me almost 40 years to get there, oh, you know, um, because I had to do a lot of work. Um, to really unprogram mm-hmm. some of those messages that I received. And I still hear, you know, my my family is constantly making, you know, comments about how such and such let herself go, um, oh, or, you know, sure. this person doesn't care anymore. And, you know, lots and lots of comments. And, you know, my own weight has fluctuated. I have about a 40 pound range um, that I have, you know, fl- ebbed and flowed through um, depending on my health and depending on what's happening in my life. And um, so I've received comments across, that spectrum and it's it is a really fascinating experience and it's something that i'm always kind of very aware of of you know and and you mentioned your daughters like that's one thing i very rarely outside of our podcast crew we joke a lot <laughs> about how we all look and there's such a special relationship that we have and we can make comments about things and um but outside of this little group like it's very rare that i ever make comments on someone's appearance oh, yeah. um or you know the the even someone's fashion um, choices, like it might be a fun outfit mm-hmm. or something like that. But I'm I'm very aware of that and how much work it's taken to get there, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so we could we could mm-hmm. go way deep into all of that another time. Have <laughs> <laughs> <Fair laughs> yeah, Emily back for that.
2: <gasps> uh, well, right. and I think kind of to your point, maybe that's where we go with some of the what we add to the float is some of this. Um, acceptance-based work or the cognitive work or if, and they're seeing if that is what really helps maximize the benefit.
0: Right. Can yes. I add another little bit of just my perspective, which obviously is the least important, but uh, I think it adds a little bit of value in that uh, people can hear things differently, like based off where they come from or what whatever, like the way things can enter somebody's brain Uh, can be go through this interpretation like this this little algorithm that that does its interpretation of the data and like my dad will will comment on my body you know when I see him he'll he'll make a comment and that has a particular effect on me but it's it's not that massive I I don't think Uh, um, and I think for other people that comment could be devastating you know their their dad or, or a parent or a family member or a stranger you know can can have a different type of impact on somebody. Um, yeah. That's all. That's all. I Just uh, cool. different different factors uh, play mm-hmm. out. And so navigating the world can just be a different, uh, I don't know if difficult is right, but I, I think what Kim's talking about and just the sensitivity going out there, just being aware and being sensitive mm-hmm. to that and not overstepping <laughs> your, your bounds is probably one of the best ways. Um, Emily, is there anything you want to leave with? The audience here this is a whole bunch of float center ogres uh, ogres did i really just say that uh, <laughs> wow uh, what did, well, now what you've offended everybody yeah. yeah Wow. <laughs> um a bunch of float center owners who uh, are eager um to to get information on what's going on at liber and how to benefit their clients and who can benefit from from uh, floating. So what else might you, if anything, you want to share with, with our audience, with these ogres?
2: That's, that's a big question. Yeah, with these ogres. Um, I would say, I, you know, first of all, I'm really excited that I was able to talk at the float conference. I think that's the first step of bridging the science cool. gap is yeah. to um, have industry people and science come together so that we can talk about what the benefits are and what we know about it. Um, And the other thing is we do want to hear from you. I know earlier you'd asked how you all can potentially influence science, but um, one one area of research that I'm really interested in is called community-based participatory research. And so that's where you, the people who we work together, we don't necessarily study you. You help us to figure out as a community, what are the next steps? So, what are the things that you're curious about? What have you seen in your float centers um, that you think potentially could have some merit in terms of science? science? Um, and so, those are the ways that we can work together, um, and also know that we're working, hopefully, at library towards you know more studies and more information that we can get out. There's some really exciting pilot studies that are happening right now that. I'll wait till Dr. Kalsa can come on and talk about those um, since it's okay. his work. Um, but there are lots of things happening on our end that we are excited to share.
0: Yay. All right. I'll take that teaser. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we always get pumped for for new new research coming out. That's awesome. Yeah. Emily, thank you um, so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. Thank I you truly for having. appreciate it. Uh, this has been very insightful, and I'm really excited to share this with the rest of the float community. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, thank you
2: for having me and thank you for again inviting me to the float conference hopefully I'll be back next year with some new things to share
0: yay cool oh that'd be wonderful yeah. um, in closing thank you to our, our listeners and our viewers on YouTube and thanks to everybody supporting us on Patreon it means the world to us thank you to our sponsors uh helmbot thank you so much for supporting us and letting us um you know have awesome guests on our show like tonight it's so wonderful thanks to the fta for supporting us and making sure episodes like this happen uh just tonight as of the recording of this episode uh, there was a round table on veterans day and how to um, celebrate veterans day with your float center and it was extremely insightful and that's just one of the things that the fta is doing these days so thank you to the fta for that Uh, Thanks to Olga for producing the show. Thanks for, Drew had to duck out, but thanks for Drew for being here at the beginning. Kim for making it all the way through. And again, once again, thanks, Emily, for for being here tonight. Thanks. Until next time, we'll see you next week.